to, oh, oh gosh, I am loud, aren't I? It's lovely to, um, lovely to be here. Um, yeah, my name's Sandra Jones. Um, I, uh, I live at the moment in Lancaster, and I'm part of a church called Father's House. And I know that in the past you've had Steve and Chris Hebden here, and I'm on the uh, part of the core leadership team with Steve and Chris, and uh, Clive Caulfield and Karen Caulfield lead our church and um, I'm what you call a mitt. I'm a minister in training. Um, so I suppose if I was in a different kind of church, you might call me a curate. Uh, I don't actually, what do they call people in the Baptist church when they're in training? <laughs> Student minister. Okay. <laughs> I, have, um, I have two children. I have Robert, who's uh, 13 and a half, and Anna, who's soon to be 12. And even though it's a month till her birthday, she's already planning that birthday yes party and uh, and I'm a widow. My husband um, died about five and a half years ago. In fact, he used to come quite often this way because he uh, worked for John Lewis's and uh, worked at uh, Herbert Parkinson's and uh, Burt Whistles. So the driving over was lovely actually because it reminded me of a time when uh, Chris had had um, a bone marrow operation and uh, for leukemia and he was getting a bit better and I drove him to work. So coming over, it was just lovely. And uh, so thank you for inviting me to, to come this morning. Um, I was really excited actually. I don't know about you, but you know, 2008, everyone's saying you know, it's the, the year of uh, 2008. It's Hope 08, isn't it, this year? And there's lots of hope in my heart for this year. And, uh, and thank you, Bill. Where's Bill? Bill, thank you so much for reading that long reading. <laughs> didn't he do well? Oops, didn't he do well? It was, um, was a long one, but the reason I wanted him to, to read that was because I wanted this morning to look at the book of Ruth. Now, I don't know about you, do, do any of you ever read a book and you start the first few pages and then you just can't wait and you have to read the ending to know whether it ends up right? Or is, that, is there only me that does that? Probably only me, okay? It's, um, it's probably a, yeah, a, a bad thing to do, really, because it's a bit like opening your Christmas presents before it's Christmas, isn't it? Reading the end of the book before you've got there. But here we have the book of Ruth. And if you go to the end of the book, you know that it's a book of romance. You know that it has a wonderful, happy ending. But when you start at the beginning of the book, that's not at all how it starts, is it? And I think it's on those kind of books that I always need to read the end. I need to know whether um, there's going to be some kind of treasure or delight in it. But here we have the book of Ruth, okay? Ruth was transformed by her integrity. Loss was transformed into abundance. She's a wonderful example of faithfulness and love and loyalty, integrity, protection, prosperity, and where her hope is renewed. Her circumstances, like I said, were transformed from loss to gain. And if you just kind of take time to have a step back, you might just kind of think, you know, to the Jewish audience that this was written to, it was an utterly ridiculous story. Because here she was, she wasn't even a Jew. She didn't come from the nation of Israel. She came from the Moabs, Moabites, okay? And if you go kind of whiz back, you know, Ruth is in the time of Judges. Israel has come out of Egypt, gone through the, pro- the desert for 40 years, into the Promised Land. And then there's this time in the Judges where actually they really do kind of lose their way, don't they? 
And they're completely oppressed from different sides by the Amorites. And yet God chooses to use this woman that when you read the end of the story, you find that she's part of the lineage of Jesus. She's part of our salvation. But here she is. She's a woman with a genuine spiritual character. And she's from a people who, you know, the Moabites, they wouldn't even let the Israelites go through their land on on their way out of Egypt. The Israelites had to go around. So there was lots of bad feeling and bad blood between um, the Israelites and the Moabites. They didn't like one another. And at the beginning in chapter 1, we found that um, Amalek, Naomi's husband, for some reason in his wisdom... There's been a famine in the land in Israel. And remember, a famine is a symbol. There's no water or there's, there's been some kind of um, disease of the, of the crops. So therefore, there's a famine in the land. And what he's chosen to do, he's chosen to go to a place okay, to be among a hostile people. So he's taken his wife, Naomi, and he's taken their two sons. And again, it's kind of a bit surprising because their two sons, rather than go back to Israel and find wives from the, um, the Jewish nation, from Israel, they've taken Moabite uh, wives. And if you kind of remember in, in Leviticus, in Deuteronomy, it says, it says, don't make a treaty with them, don't let, don't let them off in any way, don't marry them, don't give your daughters to their sons, don't take their daughters for your sons. Before you know it, they'll involve you in worshipping their gods and God would explode you in anger, putting a quick end to you. (laughs) Don't think I'd like that. Anyway, so here we have, for some reason, this very godly man has allowed his sons to marry these two Moabite women. And then we know as the story goes on that uh, he dies, and a bit further down the line, they die as well, the sons die. And so we have this story of loss. And we, and we find that there's a woman, Naomi, with two daughter-in-laws. You know, it's at this point that you probably think about having a, um, a mother-in-law joke. And um, I have a wonderful mother-in-law. And uh, when I married into the Jones family, uh, I also married into a, just a love of Reginald Perrin. Do you remember Reginald Perrin? Do you remember what happened when he ever thought of the mother-in-law? <laughs> There's a huge picture of a hippopotamus came up, wasn't it? There's this hippopotamus going along the, the uh, screen, and my mother-in-law will often say, "Hello, it's the hippopotamus here," and um, and she um, so I have, she's a, she's lovely. And, you know, I have no bad um, mother-in-law jokes, okay, because I have such a wonderful mother-in-law. So here we have Naomi being a mother-in-law to these two Moabite women. And Naomi decides, because she's heard that back in Israel, her God has provided for her people. And so she chooses to go back to the place of provision. And she says to the two women, her two daughter-in-laws, you've got to stay here. I've got no more sons. I'm too old to get married again. I can't provide for you. Stay here. And um, offer her one of the daughters, she decides to stay. It says, it says in verse 14, they wept again. So if they wept, that must mean they were close. There was a oneness in that family. And she wept and said goodbye. 
But Ruth, it said, clung to her. And Naomi said, look, your sister-in-law is going back to her people, her gods, go back to her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or go back from you. Where you go, I go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. She'd seen Naomi's loss. She knew the vulnerability of being a widow. She knew that Naomi would have nobody to provide for her. She knew that in that kind of society, that uh, you know, widows were often taken advantage of. They were often very poor, because unless you had family to look after you, you had nothing. But still, Ruth decided to be with Naomi. And in it all, you know, Naomi, she'd lost her sight of God a little bit. She was a bit bitter. She, she actually said, call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Do you ever sometimes feel like that? That you've known fullness, and then you've known emptiness? And you wonder what it's all about? So anyway... As Bill read, he read in uh, chapter 2 that they went back and uh, I find it intriguing that here's Ruth, never grown up with a Sunday school like we have upstairs, teaching our young children what it is. Okay? She didn't grow up with that kind of culture of knowing what God was about. But here she is, something in Naomi has attracted her to this wonderful God that Naomi stuck to, that her husband worshipped, even though they went to another place. And, and Ruth, kind of, she's captured it. She's understood it. And she even knew some of, um, some of, kind of what the teachings would have been. Because where it says in chapter 2 about going to the fields to glean, okay, it's because in the Old Testament, in the Torah, in the previous books, It gives rules and regulations for what widows must do and how you must glean and what your rights are. And Naomi knew that she had rights, sorry, Ruth knew that she had the rights to go and to glean, to go and provide for them. And so anyway, she said, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone whose eyes I find favour. Yeah, that's straight from the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy. So off she went. She knew how to speak promise into Naomi's life because for the moment, Naomi had lost vision. She didn't know what to do. But here she has a woman of integrity and of love and of youth standing by her side. And so their circumstances were going to change, okay? And don't you just love it how the old and the new weave in? Okay, how here we have... They've not just gone back to anywhere. They've gone back to Bethlehem. They've gone back to the region of Athrath. Oh, sorry, I can't even say it now. Bill, you probably need to help me out on this one. How did you say it? Ethra. I can't say it. (laughs) It's hard when you get tongue-tied and you're at the front, isn't it? Anyway, it says, but you, I just say Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you shall come from me. 
one who will be the ruler in Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. That was the prophet Micah. And here we have, you know, he's prophesying that Jesus was going to come out of Bethlehem. And here we have Ruth has gone back to Bethlehem. Naomi's gone to Bethlehem. I just love it the way God unfolds his story. But here we have Ruth in a field now. She's gleaning. She would have looked different, okay? Probably facially she might have looked different. She might well have dressed different. She was a Moabite. She would have stood out, okay? She probably would have looked poor at this stage because don't forget they've come all the way back into, um, from Moabite back to Bethlehem. We don't know kind of what provision they'd had. She was probably still grieving herself too. She would have had a different accent. She'd have stood out from the crowd. And she would have been at risk. Because she wasn't in the midst of a godly people. Some were, but some weren't. She was in the midst of a people who had lost sight from who God, what God really wanted for them. So she was at risk. Did you know that um, if she was out in the field, she was considered an alien with no rights, no voice. She was at risk of verbal, of physical, or even, dare I say, sexual abuse. And it's when you put it in that kind of background and Boaz comes along, you suddenly realise just the intricacies of God's plan for her. The fact that God brought along a man of integrity, a man who was a God-fearing man. And he didn't know it and she didn't know it at the time, but a man who was to be her kinsman redeemer. And he showed her uh, favour and he showed his faithfulness to her. Because he said, didn't he, he said, um, in it, um, I've lost the verse now. They ask who she is, okay, and, uh, and he, says to, he says, you know, he, sa- he t- actually tells the other men, doesn't he, further in chapter 2, he said, don't harm her, leave her alone, actually protect her, and actually even provide more for her. Because he even says, put some, you know, put some sheaths that you're not supposed to put there, put them so that she can have them. So there's a sense of abundance. And it wasn't a series of coincidences. It was God's blessing. And because we know the end of the story, we know that it was part of God's ultimate plan to save Israel. Because Ruth was going to be part of Jesus' lineage. And anyway, she goes back. And in chapter 3, Naomi recognises God's favour. It was almost as though... Her, her eyes have been dipped and all of a sudden she wakes up and she suddenly sees that God's with her, that God's favour is upon her, that as a widow God is going to provide for her. And she, uh, she, begins, she begins to scheme, doesn't she, Naomi? She kind of thinks, oh, Boaz, Kingsman Redeemer, here we have a plan. God, you're with us. You're going you're gonna to give it. You've got to give this woman, this Ruth, something more. So she kind of says, she says, you know, she says, come on, clean up. What it says in verse three: wash and perfume yourself, put on your best clothes, then go down to the 
the threshing floor. Who puts on their best clothes and their perfume to go and gather at the threshing floor? Not many, I wouldn't, but Naomi's got a plan, hasn't she? She sees what's going to happen. And she says, but don't let him know that you're there until he's finished eating and drinking and he lies down. Note the place where he's lying and then go and uncover his feet, lie down and he will tell you what to do. She's giving her clear instructions and Ruth obviously trusts her mother-in-law so much that she's obedient to everything that she says. It's an act of submission, isn't it? You know, I have a little cavalier, King Charles Spaniel, okay? He's like a pussycat in dog's fur. And I sit down and he comes and sits on my lap. And he's just so lovely, okay? And um, whenever you kind of, you have a play with him and you're on the floor, and eventually he'll kind of go on his back and he just shows you his tummy. And it's, it's an act of submission, okay? Because when a dog does that, he's actually... Sh- and he'll do that to, they'll do that to other dogs when they want to submit. Okay, have you ever seen that? And it's because they're showing their weakest, their most vulnerablest area to the dog and actually, you know, to me. Because f- f- to him, I'm the leader of his pack. It's funny, sometimes my daughter, occasionally, she's the only one who uh, he picks up and uh, she picks him up and he'll occasionally growl. Okay, Jasper just wouldn't know how to hurt anybody. Um, the most he can do is kill a fly, and uh, every now and then he'll growl. It's like he knows he knows that she's lesser than him in the pack, or so he thinks. But anyway, um, Anna soon shows that he's not, and uh, and he soon submits. But here we have Ruth. Okay, it wasn't an act of seduction; it was an act of submission, and it was in accordance with Israelite custom and law. And uh, so here she is, she sits at his, uh, she lies at his feet, and then he sees her. He says, who are you? He asks. I am your servant Ruth, he said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a kingsman redeemer. And he says, the Lord bless you, my daughter. This kindness is greater than which you showed earlier. Because he's obviously heard about the way she's stuck with Naomi. He's heard in the marketplace of Ruth's faithfulness. He says, you've not run run after the younger men, whether rich or poor, and now, my daughter, don't be afraid, for I will do as you ask. All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am near of kin, there is a kinsman redeemer nearer than I. And he just goes on a little bit, and he's actually, he must have seen her in the field, and, you know, Boaz must have thought, you know, I wonder what I can do here because he's already got a plan in mind. He's already found out that there's someone in the pecking order above him. But he, he, he has a plan and he says, don't worry, I'm going to sort it out. And he goes to the gate place and he goes to where he'll find the, um, the Kingsman Redeemer. And they sit, they sit down, okay? And he knows that um, somewhere... Um, Naomi, she had, well, Emelech, he had a field, and it was still in the Bethlehem area, and, and Naomi had that field, but of course, you know, in that culture, women didn't inherit, it went down the male lineage, so it would have been to her, um, to her sons, okay, and so now that there's this field, and this kinsman redeemer has, a, has the opportunity to buy the field, but if he buys the field, he gets the goods with the field, And the goods with the field would be Ruth. 
And um, it says in, uh, in verse 6, chapter 3, I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Because you know, he realized that he would have had to marry her. And if he married her and then they had children, it would have potentially kind of diluted what he had. Would have, uh, because when he died, it would have been, if they had boys, then obviously that boy would have had equal rights as his, his other children for all the things that he had. And so it puts him off. And Boaz must have known this about this guy because he went pretty confidently and they exchanged sandals as the, that was the custom of the day. And so then he therefore became Ruth's kingsman redeemer. And there's this kind of, there's this kind of, I don't know, kind of um, thing of the fact that, you know, it seems like it's a business arrangement to begin with. That it's all about provision. But as you read into chapter 3 and into chapter 4, you re- and this is why I love this book, you realise it's a romance. Re- you realise that Boaz has fallen in love with Ruth, and Ruth has fallen in love with him. And it's not a marriage of convenience. And so it says, Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. He went to her and then Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. So out of loss, there came abundance. Out of death, there came life. Isn't that just wonderful? That that's the kind of God that God is. And out of this marriage, okay, Boaz, again, if you look in his lineage, he was part of the prostitute at Rahab. Um, Rahab was a prostitute who helped the Israelites came, come out uh, um, so they, she helped them into Jericho, sorry, and then when they took Jericho, she was the only one that escaped. And it's just the ridiculousness of God, isn't it? The ridiculousness of him. And the reason I brought you that story today, okay, just as I finish now, is um, I don't know whether you sometimes feel like you have a sense of loss, and yet God is wanting to give abundance and I said earlier, didn't I, that uh, the year 2008, okay, Hope 08, if you uh, read the prof- a lot of and see some of the prophetic things, people are talking about the year of, a, of the gate. It means it's a, it's a year of going into new things. Part of hope is remembering who God is, the God is that we worship, how powerful he is, and what he's secured for us at the cross. The fact that his plans are to prosper us and not to harm us. That he's called each one of us to love him with all our heart, mind and strength. And I sometimes wonder, why does it say strength in there? And I think it's because sometimes we're weak and we get disillusioned and we forget. And we forget to love him with all our heart and all our mind. And so sometimes the only thing's left is our strength, it's our choice, it's our decision. And God is compassionate and he wants to refresh. He wants to bring loss from loss into abundance. And he always says, doesn't he, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. In John 7, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, streams of living water will flow from within. 
It speaks of the future being filled continually with his Holy Spirit. You know, the fact that we need water every day. You know, we cannot exist without drinking water. I think the most is three days, maybe, isn't it? And then the body just gives up. Every cell in our body needs water. And again, you've just got the imagery of the Bible where the Holy Spirit is often shown as it's water, isn't it? And Jesus said, I give that kind of water. And if he gives it, that must mean it must come from the Father. Because Jesus only did whatever he saw the Father doing. And uh, part, um, part of something that I've been re- that's really impacted me in uh, 2007 is to remember the Lord's Prayer where it says, on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. Okay? That where, where there's loss, there's abundance. In heaven, there is no loss. There's just total abundance. In Revelation 21, it says, Come to me. It is done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give him drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Now, at the beginning of time, God created the world. In the Garden of Eden, there were at least there were four rivers. There was an abundance of water. Then we have Jesus came, and he came and said, I am. Come to me, and I will give you river, rivers of, uh, of everlasting, of living water. You'll never be thirsty again. And then we have in Revelation the fact that one day, because that's the end of the book, one day we know that God's going to, going to complete it. And I know that as a church you're in this time at the moment, aren't you, of, um, of, you haven't got uh, a leader at the moment. You've not, you've not had a, a minister for a while. And um, Kate hasn't said too much about this to me, but... Um, I really felt as I was praying to want, the reason I brought this message, if I wanted to encourage you to hope that where sometimes there's been a loss, you had to say goodbye to somebody and release them to go and do the next thing that was in, in their ministry, what they needed to do, that God is going to bring more. He is going to bring abundance. And God's Holy Spirit is here to refresh you at the beginning of 2008, for whatever God's going to do here at Lund Baptist Church this year. Because it says this in 1 Corinthians. It says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has ever conceived what God has prepared for those who love him, but God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For among men, who knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And it says in Peter, but don't forget one thing, dear friends, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. And maybe the last year has kind of felt like a long time. But God wants to come and refresh you this morning. He wants to give fresh hope. He continually wants to renew us with his spirit. 
like he renewed Ruth and Naomi through his provision through Boaz. And I'd just like to, to pray before we finish that you might know that for yourselves. That actually even in it, your personal lives, if you've known loss, that you would just know that sense of renewingness from God. That very quiet, quiet filling of the Holy Spirit that, that goes deep, deep inside. And for the elders here, as you continue to seek for the next person, for the person that's going to lead you on, that again, there might be a refreshing and a renewing um, and, and, and just a knowing that it's God that's going to do it. It's the power of heaven that comes to earth. It's as it is on earth, as it is in heaven. That whoever is coming, is going to, there's not going to be a mistake. There needs to not be any fear. Because you keep your eyes on God, as you keep your eyes heavenward, and as you let God fill you with his Holy Spirit, God will reveal the right person. He will bring the right person, because his plans here are for prosperity. They're not to harm you, they're to increase, they're for abundance. There might be that then one day in this place, every chair would be filled. That in the Sunday school, that you're going to need more teachers for the children, because families are going to come in, because we're living in an age now where there's never a time when we, our society, needs God. People are looking for answers and they need to know that, that life doesn't stop here, but it goes on for eternity, doesn't it? So can I just pray? Is that okay, Kate? Just, just close your eyes. And if you want to, if you feel comfortable to, but you don't need to, you know, at Christmas time when you have a present, you put your hands out. And if you want to, just put your hands, however you want to do it, just feel free. But the main thing I want you to do is to say, God... God, come and fill this morning. Father, I just pray that in this place that you might come and renew hope, Lord God. Father, it says in Proverbs, hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. Father, I pray that you might come and instill in this church fresh hope, both corporately and individually in people, Lord God. Father, thank you that you stepped into this world, Emmanuel, God with us, and that Jesus demonstrated to us how we are to be in and how we are to be a blessing to those that are outside these four walls. And then, Lord God, when you took Jesus back to heaven, you poured out your spirit and you continue to pour out your spirit And so, Father, this morning, pour out your spirit. Father, where there's places of dryness and of loss and even of a sense of desert. Come in, Lord God, and refresh. Refresh, Lord God. Bring answers to prayers that have been prayed over many years, Lord God. Father, bring your spirit of wisdom, bring your spirit of revelation, bring your spirit of compassion, bring your spirit of love, and bring your spirit of hope, Lord God. 
And Father, I just pray that we might become a people that are imitators of Jesus, that we learn how to do what we see the Father doing. And that, Father God, I pray for this for this region here, Lord God, that this church would be significant, Lord God, in reaching out to the homes around, that, Father, in the playgrounds and in the workplaces and in the shops and all the places where we interface with your world, Lord God, that, Father, we would begin to see where your love from heaven touches earth that, Father, the power of heaven will begin to have an effect here on earth today, Lord God. In Jesus' name, amen.